are you doing this week? This is Anthony Cazenza with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I hope you have been, as a Bengals fan, doing pretty well, uh, despite some of the news that has been coming out of late. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. But uh, it's another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast where, for those of you who are tuning in live, we're recording at a special time tonight. I had a little bit of a scheduling snafu, so appreciate those who are tuning in live, um, joining us, and uh, being able to uh, watch us as we stumble through this thing (laughs) live, as we record the thing live. I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, John Sheeran. John, uh, interesting week, to say the least, for in regards to Bengals football. Yeah, it was Valentine's last week. It's my 22nd without a significant other, and it was the Bengals' 100th day without a defensive coordinator, so we're both Still searching for that special someone. Yeah, yeah, that special someone. That's a that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, hundredth day since uh, basically someone not named Marvin Lewis or unnamed was a defensive coordinator. I guess right. I mean, isn't that isn't that kind of where we're going with that? I, I don't know. Te- te- technically, if, if you want to get technical, it's been like two years since they've had a defensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Really, since since Zimmer left, I guess. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so we'll talk a little bit about the defensive coordinator situation. Uh, and unfortunately, as it occurs with uh, some teams this time of year, when the players aren't near the facility, there is some news about a Bengals player and the police blotter. So we'll talk about that and what that means for the team going forward. We're going to play a little free agency game, and then we'll get to some listener questions towards the end of the show, I believe, if we've, if we've got some time. You can get in touch with us. Uh, you can get in touch with us through the YouTube chat and submit your questions or comments there. We're also scouring the comment thread at cincyjungle.com. You can get to us on Twitter at BanglesOBI. And, of course, you can also call or text. We'll be taking calls towards the end of the program, but uh, we'll be taking texts throughout the entire show at 949-542-6241. You can get in touch with us there, um, and we'll, we'll try and get to some of those calls and texts at the end of the program there. So, John, I guess we got to start off. At, and, unfortunately, you know, when this year started off, new coach, Marvin Lewis is gone. We're going to have a new staff, clean house, all this stuff. There's a lot of good vibes. And really over the past, I guess you could say two or so weeks, particularly surrounding this defensive coordinator situation, there's been a lot of bad news. Um, and a lot of people supposedly saying no, whether that's Zach Taylor telling people no, or people he's reached out to saying thanks, but no thanks. Uh, the, the, I guess we'll start with who the bangle, the, the next target on the list, which, what is this number eight or something mm-hmm. on the list? Uh, Lou Anarumo, not a guy I'm very familiar with. Uh, but I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on him and, uh, it sounds like he's now the favorite, which is kind of, I don't know what that's exactly. <laughs> very, very relative term. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like. It's kind of like an egg on my face, I guess, because I was one of the people that said it doesn't matter too much if Taylor isn't the head coach until after the Super Bowl because, you know, he's at least said this, that for the longest time he's had a list of guys that he would want to hire if he would ever get the opportunity to become a head coach. And obviously we saw you know some of those names get hired immediately. We had James Casey come in as a tight ends coach, Jim Turner, an offensive line coach, you know, Ben Martin, the assistant offensive line coach, guys like that. 
And then, of course, you know, the most important position that a lot of us thought defensive coordinator, he had guys for that job. And it started with Jack Del Rio, supposedly his favorite, but ended up disagreeing in terms of philosophies there. So he was never offered anything. Um, his backup plans, his contingency plans to Del Rio were what, what uh, Dennis Allen and uh, Todd, Todd Grantham. And for multiple reasons, they, they weren't, uh, they didn't end up becoming the guys for the job. So, it it, it, it it seems like their contingencies for their contingencies just weren't exactly clear and they were kind of scrambling there for a little bit and honestly they, they, they deserve they deserve the jokes to come their way because this is the eighth guy interviewing for the job everybody else has a guy at this position the combine is literally in a week and a half away you know it, it's it's past president's day it's almost into free agency they don't have a guy leading their defense they don't have half the position coaches on the defensive staff so they're, they're totally in the right to get to get joked on and to get laughed at for this even though only a couple of guys have actually been off for the job but yeah it's just like i still think that the job itself is attractive because there is talented pieces here and you do have the the um, the chance the opportunity to build something of your own because you have some young talent in there as well and some veteran guys to kind of lead that way but at the same time you know it's, it's just it, it, it's funny, but it's sad because like the, the, they ran out of contingencies for their contingencies and they were scrambling to hire, you know, guys who weren't willing to leave their, their college programs after national signing day, which is obviously a tough thing to ask for, for someone to do. And now they're hiring or now they're planning to hire the guy that worked with Taylor when he was in Miami. It's actually kind of funny because Taylor was the guy that took over for Bill Lazor in Miami. Bill Lazor became the Bengals head coach or Bengals coach. And then, um, and Naramu, whatever his name is, he 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 took over for Kevin Coyle, who, who was fired from the Dolphins that year. So it could be possible that the, both interim interim coaches for the Dolphins, who took over from um, uh, future or past Bengals coaches, will become the the, the two main guys in Cincinnati. So if, if it is him, it's whatever at this point. They weren't really going to get too good of a candidate, anyways. And at least it's someone that he's familiar with. And and in all honesty, like no matter really who they were going to hire, it was unlikely to see a major jump in performance and ability and just overall ability from their defense in 2019 because of how bad and lackluster it was from last year. Unless they go balls to the walls and you know adding guys, adding talent in the draft to free agency to completely revamp that unit. But all in all, it's it's just it's just relative to how you what your expectations are, I guess. And yeah. since mine are pretty low, it's just whatever it's just a, it, it, it's a guy who's willing to accept the position hopefully so i guess that's a plus there's like three different directions i want to go into in terms of what i want to ask you next but i guess just quickly we'll we'll kind of start here with uh amaruno who was uh most recently the giants uh the Giants secondary coach mm-hmm. there's been some talk recently of landon collins being a potential fit in cincinnati as one of those hybrid uh, linebacker safety, kind of a Mark Barron type of player that the Rams used before. Mark Barron was a safety and they've converted him to a linebacker, maybe a, um, to a lesser extent, but somewhat similar LaMarcus Joyner who's more of a cornerback safety hybrid. But basically the NFL is transitioning to guys that to more hybrid defensive players, cornerback safeties, you know, the, the Ramseys, the, the Derwin James, joiners like i mentioned as well as linebackers that have safety like traits now the Bengals have two pretty good safeties right now in bates and sean williams they combined for eight interceptions last year like 221 tackles i mean just insane numbers from both Mm -hmm. of those guys um but 
there is a there is a fit for a guy like Collins that's a hybrid line. You know, maybe you play him in the box more, and he's got that range in the middle of the field to help cover tight ends, help cover backs out of the backfield. Is this a potential move that could benefit the Bengals in that regard in terms of enticing a guy like that from free agency? Easily. And I wouldn't even classify Collins as a safety here. I just class him as a linebacker. Like essentially like what you were alluding to, the NFL has not got teams playing in four threes or three fours, even or odd, fr- odd fronts all throughout the game. It's just send your four best pass rushers and put your seven best guys back in coverage because teams are going to pass 60 to 70% of the time. You're in nickel 60% of the time worrying about who's in your base defense. is like worrying about who your second tight end or who your fullback is. It's not, it's not relatively important to what actually is. And with Collins, He's he's a second level defender, and that's essentially what a linebacker is. But he's got the ability to you know cover hook curl zones against tight ends. The ability just to cover between the hashes and between the numbers. I think he has good uh, not silent to silent speed, but number to number speed to uh, chase down outside runs and you know, keep keep up with drag routes. So he played I think four times as many snaps in the box as he did as a deep coverage safety and. When he really made that jump from his rookie year to the defensive player of the year is when, when he was a rookie, they played him as a true center field safety, and he kind of really struggled a lot because there was a lot of room for him to cover. His instincts were all off, and when he moved them closer to the line of scrimmage, he ended up being a really solid player. He made a, he made a first-team All-Pro in his second year. Hasn't been as good as, as it was in 2016, but he's still been a solid player that's worthy of a second contract. My only thing is this, because he was reported to have cleaned out his locker today, basically signaling that I don't want to be signed franchise tag. I don't want an extension with you guys. I want to become a free agent. Uh, please do not tag me. Or if, if you do, I will hold out basically once away from the giants organization. And that could just be from just, you know, the, the direction that the franchise is going with Eli Manning, with, with the head coach and the lack of really future plan. It could be with, you know, the coaching staff on the defensive side of the ball, because I know their defensive coordinator was just hired last year. And the defensive coordinator did hire Lou Amarino as, as their defensive backs coach. So it, it's possible that Collins may not want to go to the team that his defensive backs coach is now going to coordinate. And it makes sense in one way where he would be comfortable, you know, going to a coach he's familiar with. But if he's leaving the Giants because of the coaches that were there, it's kind of interesting to to wonder why he would want to join the coach that that coached him for the last year when he wanted out. So it's something to think about. I don't. I'm not saying that is the case, but it's something that yeah. you know, it, as good of a fit he is, that is, that is another possibility that we have to consider. Yeah, and it's going to be like it is with a lot of veteran free agents, it's going to be obviously money first and foremost and and contract structure, but it's also going to be, you know, is this team headed in a right direction? And obviously the giants have been in a tailspin the past two or three years and uh, you know, marquee players like Landon Collins just probably aren't, you know, really interested in in continuing that type of direction. and, And maybe who knows the giants could turn things around, whatever, but uh, it, it is interesting to note what you said about him cleaning out the locker and then, you know, his his position coach potentially becoming the defensive coordinator here. Uh, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're talking about the Bengals seemingly never-ending defensive coordinator search. Uh, this is kind of the other area. You know, you mentioned that Taylor probably went into his interview prepared with a list of coaches that he had in mind for certain areas, certain positions and all that. He probably had a list of, like you said, you know, he had Dennis Allen. He had a couple of others on that list, at least probably three or four guys deep where he's like, Hey, you know, these are the guys I'd like to interview. And they either said no or stayed where they were at. 
I mean, is that – this is kind of a two-pronged question, I guess, but is that an indictment of Taylor and what those coaches have seen from this defensive staff? You know, you said, yeah, there's talent there. There is, but there isn't. I mean, there, there, there are holes there. Mm-hmm. Um, or is this – I mean, I kind of look at it and I go, well, if you bring that list of names that you're going to potentially pursue – as defensive coordinator, you have to have an inkling that these guys are interested in the job, are going to potentially leave a pretty good, like a Dennis Allen is going to leave a pretty good gig. Um, and you, you have a pretty good idea that they're going to follow you here. Or was he just kind of shooting for the stars? And this is what I have. I hoped. I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of at a loss for words at this process that, that has really fallen apart. Well, I think it's safe to say that he, Taylor did not expect to run through his whole list without hiring at least one of those guys, because let's just assume that it was like three or four guys. The teams don't usually interview more than than that number of, of potential candidates for an offensive or defensive coordinator. I believe that Callahan was like the one that like uh, they even considered offensive coordinator, and he was on the record saying he would follow Taylor wherever he went if he got a head coaching job. So I, I, I think Del Rio wanted to come here, but it was – um, maybe a false conception or uh, perception about what Taylor thought uh, Del Rio would have in mind for running his defense. And they, again, that was like the reason why he never came here. Um, um, I assume that he thought highly of Dennis Allen for, for sure, but obviously he didn't account for him leaving a more successful organization in the Saints. And I think that's the other aspect here because when you're talking about like Sean McVay hiring Wade Phillips, you know, out of the gate, Sean McVay being, you know, a first time head coach, only had a couple years as a play calling as a play caller, only like 30 years old when he was hired. And you're talking about Wade Phillips, one of the great defensive minds of the modern NFL or just the NFL period. You're thinking, you know, he, Wade Phillips is taking a chance joining a, a staff led by a guy who's largely unproven. But at the same time, you know, the Rams had just moved the LA, you know, Stan Kroenke might not be the best guy in the world, but he's shown the, the ability to be aggressive as, you know, as a team operator and just building a contender and I think that's another aspect that maybe defensive coordinators or potential candidates are kind of wary of because this is still a team that's led by Mike Brown, still a team that doesn't spend a lot on you know legit outside talent. It's still a team that's largely conservative. And when you're talking about you know a new era with a guy who's a first-time head coach, a first-time offensive coordinator, that's a lot of pressure on a, potentially a first-time defensive coordinator or a veteran defensive coordinator putting all your eggs in a basket on a franchise that largely hasn't done anything since the late eighties. So I think there's that aspect. If the Bengals were a more aggressive team and largely a more successful team that were, that was just looking for a new direction, you know, and bringing in maybe a more established guy, then I think more defensive coordinators would have jumped at the chance of this or wouldn't have backed down the way that they did. Yeah. Now what's, what it's going to take is it's going to take a, probably a guy that is unproven. Mm-hmm. Um, as a defensive coordinator, defensive play caller. Uh, and it's, and you're going to have to roll the dice and say, Hey, this was just a diamond in the rough that we ended up finding. Um, I mean, it happened. I remember years ago, we talk about how I, I follow USC football closely. I remember years ago that Pete Carroll was like number four or five as the head coach on their wish list when he finally got the job and he ended up turning that program around, you know, doing a complete 180 there. I mean, it happens with coaches there. Are, you find just a guy that, you don't really know much about or they're kind of down in the pecking order and they turn things around. So I don't want to make this sound totally doom and gloom for the Bengals here, but what it's going to take is it's going to take a diamond in the rough type of type of situation uh, from a coaching standpoint. And it's going to take 
the Cincinnati Bengals to allocate resources on that side of the ball when it comes to free agency, when it comes to the draft. They're going to need to make, whether it's Landon Collins or whether it's re-signing some of the guys, we'll talk about that in a little bit, re-signing some of the guys that are free agents. Um, you know, you have to give a young if it is a young and unproven coach or a younger and unproven coach at the defensive coordinator level, you're going to need to give them the resources to succeed. Yeah. And, and uh, just another disclaimer, like at this, at this time last year, they had just, they hired Terrell Austin at the beginning of the off season. They like made delays with the full-time offense coordinator. And there was a lot of optimism because Austin was, you know, hired relatively quickly. He had decent success in Detroit. He was a well-established guy. Laser had, you know, marginal success in 2017. We were all excited about it. And it just proves that coaching hires are nearly impossible to judge when they happen. So even if, you know, they do end up hiring Lou, who doesn't have a great track record, it's just like, it's easy to say that it'll be a failure. But honestly, we just, we we know so little about what coaches actually do and, and how competent that they actually are. It's just kind of, you know, even if they don't have a lot of prospects with them, it's kind of silly to judge it, you know, so quickly because I remember last year when the Colts thought they were going to hire Josh McDaniels, they brought in Matt Eber, Eber Fluis, who assumed that McDaniels would take the job. McDaniels obviously stayed in uh, New England. They hired Frank Reich, but they kept Eber Fluis, who stayed on, even though he was, he joined on, on false pretense. Eber Fluis became one of the best defense or put together one of the best defenses in relative to what I, what talent was actually there. He was primed for a, a, a promotion to head coach, but he ended up staying with Indianapolis. So it, it, even the worst hires at the time can end up producing the best results. It just takes you know the right guy. And if, and if Lou, Lou Anamuro is the right guy, then he's the right guy. And if he's not, again, they can just, they can just find someone next year. Much earlier. Yeah. Uh, looking at the comments in the live YouTube chat, um, Mohamed Alomer says, do you think we should have hired a defensive coordinator before announcing the hiring of Zach? I personally don't think so. I think you got to have the defensive coordinator that the coach wants and that everybody's on board with. Uh, I don't know if you agree with my sentiments there or not, John. Well, um, I, I, well if, if like they hired or they hired Callahan before Taylor took the job. So I think that would be officially. Yeah. yeah, right. But it, yeah. it depends if we're talking officially or if we're right. saying, you know, if, if you're really putting the cart before the horse, if you will. I mean, if you're hiring a defensive coordinator without having a deal in place for your whether it's official or not with your head coach. And that that to me doesn't make a ton of sense. You kind of want your head right. coach picking um, picking your guy there. Uh Let's see. There was another th- another one in here. Uh, I don't know what uh, happened to Aubrey Pleasant, honestly. Yeah, that was that was another one in here. Yeah, since he since he fan Jungle City says whatever happened to looking into Aubrey Pleasant. Um, that didn't seem to go anywhere. No. Uh, I, you know, it, it, I read a, an article, I think it was from the LA Times, you know, talking about him from last offseason and how he's a fiery guy and he's getting, you know, he had a lot of talent to coach uh, as a secondary coach with with, with the Rams. Um, one could say that he did a good job and other times, you know, the Rams actually let up a lot of points throughout uh, different parts of the year. Uh, I think part of that was because their offense was so explosive and then their defense would just kind of get rushed back out there and or teams they played had to throw the ball a lot, but, um, and then, you know, they had injuries uh, to leave missed a period of time and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, that was one I I thought was a direct connection because of the Rams deal and everything. And so he, he had a good pulse on that and he kind of said, thanks, but no thanks. So, um, I don't, I don't know what happened there. 
and uh, you know, we'll we'll see what happens going forward. Uh, but you know, uh, whether it's Taylor saying no, other coaches saying no, other coaches being blocked, whatever the case may be, the Bengals are kind of low on the pecking order in terms of where they're at on their desired list of defensive coordinator hires or potential hires, I guess I should say. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Kazenzi. You can get this show on iTunes. You can get it on Stitcher, Google Play. It's also on the Megaphone platform as well as YouTube, and all of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com. Myself and John are contributors over at cincyjungle.com, as are a number of other great writers, and uh, we bring you all the consistent news, updates, analysis, opinions, and all of that good stuff. So keep it at cincyjungle.com for all of the writings, posts, articles, all that good stuff there. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. John, I guess it wouldn't be, well, I, I don't want to say this because I, I don't want to be cynical, but I, I guess, I, I mean. Nihilism, embrace it. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> the Bengals go through another offseason with an arrest. Um, and I, I want to say this. I messaged you this, uh, John. If For those of you who remember about a month ago, I was teasing the fact that we had Tyler Boyd and we had Mark Walton coming on the show for interviews. Now we had Tyler Boyd and we had him twice, which was awesome. And he was great both times, uh, you know, very jubilant and not a heck of a nice guy. Uh, great interviews. And I, I hope our listeners enjoyed hearing from him a couple of times, but in between those two interview opportunities, we had one set up. It was supposed to be on January 17th. Not that the date totally matters, but you'll get what, why I'm saying this in a minute. We had an interview scheduled with with running back Mark Walton on the 17th. Well, it turns out, first of all, he was arrested. Was it last last weekend, John? Uh, for for the yeah. batter the battery issue, yeah. where which involved a woman. Wonderful. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that he specifically struck the woman. I, I don't. Details are a little sketchy, but it sounds like he got in some sort of altercation with a female because she was filming him on, on her phone. Um, because of that incident, you now hear about an incident where he was arrested for marijuana possession on January 16th. And I was set to interview him. We were set to interview him on the 17th. 
and I, I was asked by the PR firm and all this kind of stuff about, hey, are, you know, are you set to, you're still good to interview him at this time, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Day of, a few hours before I get, oh, Mark's not available today. I didn't really get an explanation why. I didn't, I didn't hear anything about it. And, you know, I kind of tried to play it off on, on past episodes. And it, I come to find out that that's, I, I would guess that that's why he was unavailable on the 17th because he was arrested late on the 16th. Uh, so just that's a disclaimer for our listeners in case you were wondering what the hell happened to the Mark Walton interview. But now we've got two arrests in less than a, basically a month, less than a month for a backup running back who had what a hundred total yards from scrimmage, 200 total yards from scrimmage. One and a half yards per carry. Yes. Fourth round pick though. Uh, I personally was excited to pick when they made it last year because I thought it was a need that not a lot of people recognized. I liked the potential of this kid. Now here we are less than a year later and he's in all kinds of trouble. Your thoughts on Mark Walton, and we'll talk about what's ahead probably for him, but your thoughts on this whole situation, John? Well, personally, you know, I can come off as a as someone who, when they hear about something like this, you know, automatically it's bad, and it's just not the case because every case is individual and and different in their own circumstances. But as the more details came out about what happened in Miami with Walton, the less good it looks. I uh, believe that there was a, a quote about describing what happened with what got on camera. Uh, Walden was quoted saying, you don't know how much money I have. I do what I want. And then on notification ensued, minor scratches. No one really got too hurt, but obviously the intent, the malicious intent there was not good. Overall, like, People like to, to, to weigh the value of the player and the badness of the situation. And obviously for Walton's case, the badness completely outweighs the good in that sense. But just personally, like the running back position itself is not very important anymore. You don't really have to spend high capital on acquiring those guys. It's mainly dictated on scheme, offensive line and stuff like that. So when you're talking about a running back who is now dealing with questionable decision-making at best and multiple instances in less than a month, there's just not a lot going for him in terms of defending him to keep on the roster. And, and we're also looking into the fact that his running backs coach is gone. His offense coordinator is gone. His head coach is gone. Basically everybody who invested in him in a fourth round pick when most people thought that they should have taken one another direction in, in that part of the draft, they're all out of the picture. He's left here with under a new regime with all this dirt in his name now. So it's just, if you want to defend Mark Walden and you want to give him a, a, a second chance, that, that's fine with me. I'm not going to judge you based upon that, but from who he is, where they are, and just the overall situation of, of what the team is right now, there's just not a lot of reason to defend him and to kind of make a case for him, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's <laughs> and, and it's a little bit of an unfortunate reality for a guy like Walton, but you know, it's one thing when you are you have something, some form of an altercation with a, with a female in your history, and you're putting up numbers like Joe Mixon in college, numbers like Joe Mixon in the pros, numbers like Kareem Hunt in college and the pros. Uh, teams are just a little more apt, I guess, to take it to, to eat that PR hit uh, when when these guys produce and. Credit to Joe Mixon 
he has been uh, basically a model. Now, granted, it's only been two seasons in Cincinnati, but he's basically kind of been a model guy. He's he's very, you know, uh, rah-rah with his teammates. He's a very team-oriented guy. He wants his team to win. He's very excitable on the field, and he plays very, very hard. And, oh, by the way, there hasn't been any issues since since some of that college stuff that a lot of people were worried about. Yeah, like I, I interviewed Mixon last year at a football camp that he was invited. AJ Green runs a football camp in Sigmore High School, which is about 10 miles north of Cincinnati. Mixon was invited to run the camp on day two, and I got the opportunity to ch- check out how he was like running the camp with the kids and got a chance to ask him a couple questions afterwards. But just watching him interact with the kids, he was very playful. He was, you know, like yelling at them. He was like, like running around with them. He was picking them up and doing everything. But the Bengals did the Joe Mixon situation perfectly. They put him in front of all the cameras. They made him always available to answer any questions and credit to him. He basically did everything great. And with this situation, it's been very in the dark and it's come out. And obviously Walden is not the fourth leading rusher in the NFL and right. the leading rusher in the AFC. He's a guy that got buried on special teams. And again, drafted by coaches and personnel that aren't here anymore. So the situation is obviously much different. I think, I mean, like me personally, like the, like the weed charge doesn't really matter that much. It's more of a stupidity thing than anything about him actually using the substance. But just in general, when you, when you hear altercation with a man or a woman or anything like that, and then having those details come out, it's just, it's just not good. You know? Yeah, and that's that's kind of where I was going in terms of what what you're willing to accept from an employee type of type of thing in terms of what they produce and give you, in terms of what you pay them and what the situation is, and you know it's an it's an equation to for a team to work out. Do you think then, John, that this is now an opportunity for Zach Taylor? to send a message to the rest of the locker room to say this kind of crap's not going to be tolerated. And, you know, he, he preached character. He preached all that kind of stuff in his opening press conference. There's an opportunity for a message here, but there's also a big opportunity for a double standard given who he hired as his, as his offensive line coach. So blasphemy, blasphemy. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, I, I know, I, I know what you're saying there, buddy. Uh, <laughs> So my point, I mean, to me, this would be a golden opportunity to be like, hey, I preached this message. You broke the law twice in in less than a calendar month, right? Uh, So sorry, and and you weren't my guy, all that kind of stuff. Sorry. Uh, You know, maybe if it was one time, one thing, that was your chance, but you did it twice, all that kind of stuff. But the whole Jim Turner thing. So I, that's where I'm going. Oh boy. What do, what do you do here? Zach Taylor knows Jim Turner. He worked with him for many years at multiple places. And because of that, he had knowledge of what happened in the situation. And he made his own judgment that um, it was still worth hiring him technically twice. Cause he hired him at UC, but he, he didn't uh, turn it into accepting the job. And again, Turner wasn't here when the Bengals drafted Walden. Um, I'm sure he'll evaluate the situation to his own liking. He'll talk to you know the front office and see how they handle the situation. But uh, like uh, again, I just think it comes down to who he knows because he's going to hire the defensive coordinator that worked with him in Miami. He's hired a multitude of guys that he's worked with in the past, and that's the culture that he wants because they because he knows them personally. They know the kind of message that they want to send. 
And if they if they decide to keep Walden, it'll be I, I assume because he evaluated the situation and determined that it wasn't worth cutting him and worth ruining that investment. Because at the end of the day, it's Duke Tobin's name that's also going to go through the dirt if Walden ends up getting cut because he's also a part of the evaluation process as well. If they do cut him, I think that's a, a good sign for the you know the message that he's trying to spread. If they don't then I wouldn't say it's completely hypocritical, but I do think that it wouldn't probably be the right decision based off the information that at least is public. Yeah. Uh, this is a, this is a tricky situation and be, and to be honest with you, this has not been, I'm sure if you're Zach Taylor, first time head coach, a relatively young guy, you're sitting here saying, you know, your first month on the job, you basically had a player that was arrested twice you've caught hell about the offensive line coach you've hired and you can't, you are, you cannot get a defensive coordinator to save your life. So this is not how he probably drew up in his <laughs> mind. And I'm sure the Bengals brain brain trust as well drew up the, you know, the beginning of the Taylor era. Now, look, like you said, and I, I there was someone else in the live, in the live YouTube chat. Uh, it was rusty Shackelford. I think it was, it said, um, he, he said Walton didn't seem very explosive. No one cares about the weed, but hitting a woman, he needs to be cut. I, I don't want to say nobody cares about the weed. Um, uh, like you said, that's, that's more, you know, that, that stuff is legal in some places it's illegal in others but, and all that kind of stuff. It's more of a poor judgment thing. But, right? but Joe Mixon also hit a woman. So like, right. like what, 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 what standards are we going with here? It's, is it because Walton stinks? Because right. honestly, honestly, you're you're only thinking that if you believe Walton stinks, which is not uncommon to think, right? And and that's where you go. Oh, it's easy to you know, it's easy to just say, yeah, I get rid of him. But I, I do think that this is an opportunity for Taylor to send a message to the rest of the team. I don't think, and to Marvin Lewis's credit, I don't think that this incarnation of the Bengals team is anywhere near what it was in the mid and late two thousands. Um, they're not bringing in a lot of guys with with gnarly criminal histories and giving them those rental deer deals that they did years ago. Um, kind of the bad boys of the NFL. Uh, so, you know, I don't think that's the overall culture of this locker room. Um, but, you know, I, I think there is an opportunity to send a message here and, and, and I don't want to say, I, you know, look, I, I'm not into, getting people fired or getting people out of job. That's not, I, I don't advocate any of that stuff. I also don't advocate it even with people on Twitter that I vehemently disagree with. That is just not, I, I don't, you know, that's someone's livelihood. So, you know, that's not, that's not my deal, but there is an opportunity for Zach Taylor to send a message to the rest of the team. Um, whether that's kind of a double standard message, I don't know, but th that is what it is quickly, John, before we, we change topics and change gears here. If Mark Walton is released, do you see running back as a need for this team? Because you have you have Joe Mixon, who obviously had an outstanding season last year, did miss two games with an e-scope. You have Giovanni Bernard, a multidimensional player who we talked about recently, should have you know a nice renaissance under Taylor in this offense, but he has struggled with injuries over the past couple of seasons. Then you don't really have much else behind them, and usually that third guy is kind of a special teams guy anyway. So is there some form of a need, whether it's a relatively high draft pick or a free agent, if Mark Walton is released? They have five, or they will have five six-round picks, and I think that's a good spot to use it because I think 
if Walden is cut, they're going to be in a similar position to last year. I don't think a lot of people expected them to take a running back that early, but they ended up doing it because they just really like Walden as a person. But I don't think they can ignore vital needs that need to be addressed with early round picks. And again, the nature of the running back position is that you can find that production pretty much anywhere. And if they solidify the offensive line, like they should, um, I think we're only with Quinn flowers as a guy who can potentially make the roster in camp. That's already three guys who I'd be comfortable with being on the roster. Uh, they had trade. They probably should have kept Trey Carson or, or Quinn flowers over Mark Walden for being honest, based off of how they performed in the preseason and training camp But Walden obviously got in because of draft status running back is like they can bring in guys on in you know as undrafted free agents and you know they'll, they'll effectively be the same in terms of production and performance so for me personally like unless it's like the one big need that you have on the roster that can really elevate who who you are as an offense i just don't believe in in addressing the position relatively early in the draft so in, in this case i think they have a chance to do what they should did, did last year and improve in other more important areas and then you know, I'd still be okay with using a late round pick on running back, though. Yeah, yeah. Day three, I think, is probably like you said. That's probably the best. Late bet. day three, not, yeah. not not fourth round day three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're talking about uh, Mark Walton and his legal situation. We've been talking about the defensive coordinator carousel of the Cincinnati Bengals since Zach Taylor has taken over as head coach. We've got a little bit more on tap. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. You can get it on the Megaphone platform as well as YouTube and CincyJungle.com. Please subscribe to all of our channels if you can. Um, and, and make sure you get all the, the updated feeds and the audio and video as it comes out. Tell a friend about the show also. Let them, uh, a fellow Bengals fan, let them know about the show if you like it and uh, let them know what we're doing. And, hey, have them call in. Let them be a first-time caller. We'll be taking texts. We'll still be taking texts throughout the show, 949-542-6241. We'll be taking calls a little bit later in the show as well. So uh, give us a call or shoot us a text. So the last seven weeks have been – writing talking about this freaking coaching search that just went out. so you know we're, we're, we're instead of waiting for them to actually move on we, we are going to begin the move on process because we have three to four weeks up until free agency and we're going to talk about it not outside free agency because we know the Bengals don't sign anyone outside we're going to talk about some of the guys who we believe will be potentially negotiated to be brought back so we're going to play a free agency, free agency game. It's the first installment of what I hope becomes a continuing series because we're, we probably won't get through all the free agents this week, but it's called free agency Yelp. And Yelp is obviously the app. We go to a restaurant, you rate it at a one out of five, you know, would, would, would recommend going there, would not. Everyone knows it, Yelp. So we're going to play free agency Yelp. And basically one of us is going to say a free agent, uh, unrestricted or restricted free agent, I guess, for the Bengals. They, they have about 20 or 18 or whatever, somewhere in that range. And the other person is going to say, you know, they're going to rate them as a five, which means they want to bring them back. They would really want to bring them back, sign them a multi-year deal, whatever. One being they're going to buy their cab for the airport when they get to sell somewhere <laughs> else. So I will start, and my free agent to you, Anthony, is Preston Brown. Okay. I, uh, this, one, this is actually a difficult one to start with because productive guy – especially in Buffalo productive probably was on the way to his most productive season as a pro with Cincinnati, but cut short with a lot of injuries, which was not an issue of his at all. And he's in the mold of an old school Marvin Lewis linebacker. 
But I think that the Bengals need help at linebacker desperately. I think they you would probably say a one one or two year deal. He is a local guy. He went to school in Louisville. So uh I, I'd say can I say three point five? Sure. Sure. Okay. Three three and a half stars. Three and a half three and stars. Three and a half stars. Nice, nice. How about you? Um I give it a two. I mean because I think because I you, you wrote you have a, a free agency. Uh, blueprint in the works that's still being kinked out will be posted soon and Preston Brown was a part of that and you you, you mentioned I'm not going to spoil the article or whatever but you mentioned that um, his new salary would be kind of a baseline of what he of what he's making now and I think that they signed him last year to start as a middle linebacker and I think if they were to bring him back this year it would be as a backup and I would probably I would at least try to get him cheaper than what they're paying him now because he had a season where you know he only played about half the schedule. He dealt with injuries, and even when he was healthy, he didn't look like the kind of player in Buffalo. And you know, we we, we all know the the scheme deficiencies with Bengals linebackers, so that, that obviously didn't help him either. But I think he he's you know semi decent uh, depth at at the Mike position. And if they bring in a guy like you know you know uh, an early pick at middle linebacker to kind of you know, be the forefront of the future of the defense. Brown's a, a guy that can mentor him and potentially fill him in if he misses some time early. So maybe like a one-year, two, three million dollar deal would be fine. But uh, if they let him go, I won't be very upset. So I think I think a two probably fits well. Okay. Do you want an easy one or a hard one? G- give me, give me a hard. Let's, let's you want a hard one? That's what she said. Uh, <laughs> Tyler Croft. Hmm. Not the tight end I would prioritize, but I'll give him a three because our own Matt Minnick um, wrote something about how the Rams kind of use their tight ends. And if this offense is going to be based on the Rams current office, I think that Croft is a tight end that has a place in it. And um, the seven touchdowns from 2017 help his case. Uh, obviously, I don't think the injuries from, or the injury from 2018 is that indicative on his future injury concerns. I think he's by and large a, a decent tight end that's worthy of like a two to three year deal, maybe like three or four million on average. But you know that nice number two guy for Dalton, or you know for, for you know a nice safety blanket for uh, for Dalton in, in, in this offense, but largely because of his ability as a blocker. Um, I think he and his teammate um, that we might mention later, they're, they're decent blockers, and that's important for a, a, a team that's going to be wide zone uh, heavy in terms of run blocking to reach out for those edge, edge defenders and you know kind of drive them off the ball. And I think Croft is able to do that in in, in some respect. And be, because they have you know three for each and set at the position, I think Croft would be probably the easiest or four. Yeah, you know, it, it, Croft would probably be the easiest to to bring back on a multi year deal where probably has the least amount of outside interest and may, maybe Eifert is more along the lines of that because of his injury history, but Croft is younger. Um, he, he, he did show he could be a productive uh, red zone target. So I think, I think three probably fits. I, I don't know. I, I see exactly what you're saying middle of the road, but I, I'm almost like, you know, do you go, I hate I hate to kind of use this analogy, but do you go with the tortoise or the hare, right? Do you go with the yeah. slow the slow and steady guy, which is to me Tyler Croft, and he had a a good season in 2017 with Eifert out, uh, very very solid red zone guy, or do you go and, and try and 
mold your offense around one or two really athletic tight ends that are pass catching guys. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of feel like Croft is a good player for the Bengals offense. He has, he has done pretty well when his, uh, when his role has increased, but I also feel like his skill set is a little more findable than uh, is findable a word. I don't know. Uh, it, it's a, it's a little more readily available. Uh, just kind of the pretty, pretty decent route runner, pretty decent hands, um, decent block, kind of a decent all around tight end. Whereas, you know, the high upside, really athletic, tall, big guys, like the other, a couple of the other tight end free agents they have, um, you know, I, so I, I guess I'd say two for Croft and, and I say that hesitantly, but I, I, I'd give him a two. You had a three, you said, right? I had a three. Yeah. I had a three. Okay. I, I would, I would have the other two tight ends that we could talk about as potentially higher, but I'll stay on the offensive side of the ball. Let's go yeah. with a restricted free agent, Trey Hopkins. I'm going to say a four. Um, and the reason I say that, he he won't be very expensive. Um, he's had he this guy. By the way, for those of you who don't know, it, go read what Trey Hawkins' path to the NFL is in terms of not not like you know really really tough hardship, but bounced out of bounced off the roster, bounced off the practice squad. I mean, he's just been jerked around by the Bengals for a long time. Some of it has to do with injury, but. The last two years, he's been proven to be a valuable, a valuable and versatile guy, uh, guard, center. Um, who knows? I mean, there, there's talk of him even kind of playing tackle, right tackle in a pinch. I mean, that, just a versatile guy. And I wouldn't put that high of a value in terms of needing to re-sign him if offensive line wasn't such a big need this year. So they still have right guard to figure out. You know, they think they have center figured out with Billy Price. There's a lot of debate whether he should be moved to right guard and Hopkins should be the center um, or if Hopkins should be the right guard. So um, to me, and, and even if he's not a starter in terms of Taylor's vision or to, in Taylor's eyes, I think he's a guy that could come in and, and start for you in a pinch and in, in basically three positions. Um, so to me, that's just a guy you get on a reasonable deal and uh, you can you can kind of have them in the mix. So I I give them a four. A four is what I would give him as well. And I I I won't give him a five because, like you said, he won't be very expensive. So if he decides if they decide to not tender him, it won't be the end of the world. But I think it's I think it's dangerous to not prioritize potentially the best player at it, at an important position. I think at this point he is a better center than Billy Price is. I'm not saying that Billy Price will never be better than Trey Hopkins, but at this point, based off the film that we saw last year, Trey Hopkins was a better center, and it was the first time he was actually played at center with the Bengals. I think he, I think he played like one snap at center in Texas, and they, they, they never tried him there. They tried him at like three other spots in the offensive line. When they, when they had Bodine for four years, they never even considered Hopkins at center to even push him, and if they'd had, maybe they'd be in a much different position than where they are now, but I think he definitely proved his worth as a much better version of TJ Johnson, who ended up getting a second contract as that backup center guard, you know, the, the seventh or sixth active offensive lineman who could play in multiple positions. And I think that's where Hopkins value is now. I'm not saying to start him over Billy Price at center, because I think they want to continue to develop him there. But if another injury to Price happens, what we saw with Hopkins is that that position didn't lose a beat and actually improved a little bit. So while, Price is still developing as a center, a position that he has less experience at than guard. If that's the way that they want to do this, I think 
um, keeping Hopkins with that, uh, uh, what, like a second round tender, I think they would probably put on him for that. Mm. Get him to like a, a two or three year deal worth about a couple, maybe even up to three million a year, a valuable backup who can play multiple positions in. By and large, is, is a good football player, and with the Bengals' offensive line, they don't really have a lot of those. So I think he's definitely one of the one of their best offensive linemen, and he's going to be cheap. So I definitely put it as a four right now. Okay, uh, I think we can agree just for the sake of time. And I mean, Cedric Abwehi, Bobby Hart, <laughs> Tom Savage, and Alex Redmond probably all get one, 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 one. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I think for those who watched any amount of Bengals football over the past couple of years, especially 2017 and 2018, you can kind of say, you know, at best, maybe a one 1.5 for, uh, I, I don't even know, Redmond maybe? I don't even think that. I think that's too generous. So but he, uh, Even that, like, it's just because he's in ex- exclusive rights because, like. And he's 24. Yeah. So, I mean, so, but I mean, you look at a boy, he, you look at Bobby Hart and Bobby Hart's only 25 also, but uh, a boy, he, Bobby Hart, just terrible at tackle over the past couple of years. Tom Savage brings you nothing. Um, so, it, I mean, I think even Matt Langle, it, he was the fourth tight end. That's a, I mean, guys like that, I don't think we need to talk too much about one guy I wanted to, uh, I am interested in hearing your take on him is Jake Fisher. Uh, you know, he has flashed at times. Injuries have been ridiculous with this guy. Um, athletic, only 26 currently. Um, uh, to me, he might be a guy you bring in on a reasonable deal that's kind of a – you can fight for a potential starting spot. Um, probably a backup. I don't know your, your take on Jake Fisher on this, in this uh, Yelp rating game. I think you nailed it. Uh, the description perfectly. I would, tr- I would try to get like a two year deal with no guaranteed money on the second year. So essentially he'll be a camp body. Um, but like you said, like a oh boy, he's a free agent. Andre Smith is a free agent and Fisher's a free agent. So you have three free agents at a position. And the only, the other, the other guy that's under contract there is like Cordy Glenn, who's, Got two years left on his deal. So you need some stability when you're looking for a legit starter there. And I think Fisher is a guy that you would be comfortable with being that third or fourth guy going into training camp that can be like the, like the backup going into preseason. Out of him, Smith and Abue, he's the guy that I would I would probably keep around because I think there is some natural ability there. I'm not expecting him at all to become a starter at this point, even even more, more like a swing guy. But I would, I would try to keep him around in camp to see what he can show under a new offensive line coach, under a new scheme. Um, I think the transition to, to full outside zone will help him well, and that's always been where he's where he's flashed in the pan. But you know, uh, I, I would probably give him like a two and a half, probably like a two year deal again, no guarantee money in the second year. If they cut him, they get, they incur a couple hundred thousand in dead cap this year. But I think you, you need some kind of stability there, and, and out of the three other. The two other free agents, he's the guy with probably the best case to yeah, be brought back. That's two two five is what I would say. Also, um, spot starter potentially. You know, maybe he starts to put things together if he's healthy and in this system. Maybe he's used as a jumbo package guy if Taylor even decides to use some of that stuff that Marvin did. Um, you know, just kind of as an extra tackle in the run game, that sort of thing. Maybe even hey, spot H back guy like he did a few years ago. Who knows? But I think he's worth bringing back on uh, on a reasonable deal. Mm-hmm. I would agree. You're up. Oh, all right. Uh, 
Hmm. Unless you want to stop. <laughs> uh, let's go one more. Let's go one more. Um, right. Man, I'm not prepared for this. Let's just go with the most expensive one, Tyler Eifert. Okay. And this is this is honestly probably the hardest one on here. That's what she yeah. said. Um, I, it's hard for me because I personally really, really like the player and I really like the guy. Um, and, and I'm trying not to let that over overcloud. Um, and, and we've seen what he can do. I, I guess I'd say 3.5. Um, and, and I say that with the caveat of maybe he could be a guy that you can get a bit, a bit cheaper than you think because of the injuries and, and the lack of production over the past couple of years, really since his pro bowl season, but you know what he can have. The Rams offense isn't tight end focused, but I think if you have able guys in it that can do some things, I think that's super valuable for what Taylor's trying to do. So I'll go three, five. I'll, I'll probably go down to three, um, mainly because you know, we haven't really talked about the draft, but most people are calling this class of tight ends, you know, one of the best in years and just very good talent at the top. But not only that, but you can find potentially a long-term starter in you know the third, fourth, and even fifth round. There's a lot of productive guys, a lot of guys who are probably going to test well at the combine. And I think with guys like Uzoma and Croft, you, you know, you, you, you're getting those stability that you would probably want in a guy like Eifert, but you can also bring in a high high upside guy, you know, kind of in the middle of the draft. And I think that is the main aspect that deters me from investing another contract in Eifert because I think at a, at a certain point, the two sides kind of have to move on. I think that, like, if Eifert were to remain healthy for an entire year under a one-year prove-it deal, then I think there would be in legit negotiations to, you know, bring him back on a three- or four-year deal. But I, I, I think because he got injured again, it's just the it's just the, the time for both ways to kind of part and let Eifert, you know, find a new path, maybe find a new team, do what he wants to do. But like if I were to bring him back, I wouldn't pay him any more than what he's getting now. And this kind of harsh as that kind of as that sounds, I just can't trust him to play a, a full season. And I certainly wouldn't give him, you know, any substantial guaranteed money as well. But l- like you said, he's still talented and he's still gonna be in his in his twenties. He's not gonna turn thirty until next year. But j- just from the whole timing of, you know, one last contract and one last injury, and then a lot of talent at his position in the draft in, in this upcoming draft, I think it just bodes for kind of a separation because I think they're, they won't have much trouble bringing back both Hizoma and Croft if they want to, they bring back those guys. They have some stability as guys who have experience as starters, bringing maybe a more of a high upside guy that can, that can replace what Eifert has potentially without the, whole injuries uh, situations so probably a three is is denard a five for you denard's probably a four i would that's, say that's where i'm at yeah like I, I think he'll be in that seven to eight mil range for like three or four years which isn't bad they can definitely afford it um obviously his position is value you know you need to be able to cover guys in the slot i think he's developed as best as they could have expected for who he was as a player coming out of michigan state he he moved around from the outside to the inside. He kind of found a niche there. I think he's a solid player, and I think he's worthy of a solid contract, and that's what I would offer to him, which is why I'm giving him a four. I wouldn't say he's a five because I don't think he's like a must sign because I like yeah. what I saw from Darius Phillips last year. I'm intrigued by what Devontae Harris can also have, and I'm also, again, I'm, I'm intrigued by the, the cornerbacks in this class and having 11 picks. You know, I wouldn't be too upset with 
investing a, a, a mid-round pick on a cornerback to potentially replace what he has. So if it comes down to either Denard or maybe an, another mid-tier free agent at another position from the outside, I, that, that's something to weigh. But again, I think Denard is at, at the best possible player of who they could have expected after five years from drafting him based off who the, what, what kind of prospect he was. And that's worthy of a solid deal relative to what his status is in the market. But is he a five to me? I wouldn't say that. Yeah, I I mean, I look at it. He's been in the league five seasons. He has three interceptions total, including three seasons of his five with goose egg mm-hmm. interceptions, including last season. You look at passes defended, uh, highest, and he had it the last two seasons, highest was six. Um, I, I got to tell you, last year for uh, and I think I've mentioned this on the show before. Last year, the trio of former first round cornerbacks was very disappointing in terms of statistical output. Uh, now, William Jackson allowed a low quarter corner a low quarterback rating rating um, from his position. Let me try that again. <laughs> William Jackson allowed a low quarterback rating from the cornerback position, um, but. So and he didn't have any interceptions. He had a, he had a high amount of passes defended. Drake or Patrick goose egg, and now you got Denard goose egg. So to me, it's just like ugh, it's frustrating to see that. But uh, an able slot quarter corner is what you need in this day and age in the NFL, and that seems to be what Denard is. Uh, Michael Johnson, just real quickly, is he a guy that you think is real low in terms of uh, a number two resign? Let's call him a one point five. Not 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 one because I have some respect for the man, but um, like n- not not only wanting to give I guess Hubbard the chance to kind of prove himself along with Willis if he has anything left to prove other than that he's a bad player. But I think the edge market uh, for like mid tier guys is pretty good, and if they were to cut like Bonses Burfick, free up you know five to six million, I think they can use that on you know a, a solid guy on a second contract. Not going to reset the market, but. I, I think Edge is a, is a decent need, and partly because of how little Michael Johnson gives them at this point. And again, in a similar to a guy like Vincent Ray, I think there's just a point in time where you know, the two parties kind of need to split because obviously Lewis is gone. You know, Johnson was like the longest tenured veteran, not named Kevin Huber from the Marvin Lewis era, still there. So I think with him leaving, I think it's a good time for him to also leave. Um, Vincent Ray is kind of in that same boat for me as well. I. If they came back as backups, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But I think there needs to become a time where they need to attack those positions with legit with legit talent and not just guys that kind of know the system that is no longer here. Yeah. Well, fun game, John. I appreciate you, you spearheading that, man. Um, good. Uh, and there's 19, I believe, 19 total internal free agents that the Bengals could sign. And uh, I don't think a lot of them are coming back, to be quite honest with you. I don't know if that means that necessarily they're going to be more active in outside free agency, probably maybe a little bit, but I I don't think it's going to be crazy, but we'll see. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. It's also on the Megaphone platform as well as YouTube and CincyJungle.com. We're going to get to some listener questions here. Before we get out of here, we're going to spend a few minutes on that. You can get in touch with us in the live YouTube chat in the CincyJungle.com thread. Uh, you can get to us at Bengals OBI on Twitter, or you can give us a call or shoot us a text at 949-542-6241. 
We actually have a call on the line, and I believe it, it uh, the call on the line is from our good friend Terrell. Terrell, how are you, sir? Terrell, how are you? Sorry about that. I, I, I muted you there. How are you, sir? Good man. Uh, we uh, I think we I think we missed you last week, so we apologize. But good to have you back on. And and what's going on? What's on your mind this week? I just, I just been tired of all the disrespect and all the joking and laughing all across the just uh, all the sports channels and news channels and radio channels. I mean, I feel like we get the clown out of them because we just, we the uh, we the fans and you know we love them and we we get we went through the pains and grown pains and everything. Well, but but uh, I just like what they can nail. Uh, at quarterback, he was on his uh, radio station. He was talking about, yeah, uh, Doc Kelly, he uh, people over his head because taking advantage of the job. I said, don't, don't get shot because y'all with the same position in, court, uh, in college. And he so happened to uh, went to the Super Bowl and end up being a head coach. So don't, don't get shot here, you know. And uh, at the same time, I just feel like at the end of the day, I know we try, he, he just said, like, we trying to find the right guy for the defense coordinator. And I feel like, I mean, uh, I know the guy from Pro Football Focus, I don't know if he was joking around or what. Steve. He was serious about having a scheme and trying to, uh, and putting his, putting his heart on the line for, uh, try to, uh, try to get a call maybe one, one day, but you never know. But, uh, <laughs> I just have to say that. And all, all the, uh, and the uh, same thing, at the end of the day, we, we can't get mad at Mike Brown. We can't get mad at nobody but the defense. I mean, that, that defense was, was terrible. They act like they couldn't tackle nobody. Yeah. I was scared. All right. Thank, uh, uh, thanks, Terrell. We're going to get you off the air. John, your thoughts on your thoughts on what Terrell said. Terrell, thanks for calling in, buddy. Appreciate it. Oh, yeah, no problem. Oh, yeah, no problem. See you, buddy. Yeah. Like, c- c- come on, guys. Like, if, 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 if Baltimore hadn't hired a defensive coordinator in seven weeks since the offense – Soft season began. We we've been making fun of them. Like I, I think there has to be a level of perspective here. Um, I, I I know it sucks because we haven't won a playoff game in almost thirty years, and this is just another thing to kind of make fun of. But it's it's it's, it's just the way it is. We're not we're not anything special. We're not we're not above this this jokingly ridicule. Like it's just it's just the way it is. Yeah, and uh, it's it's easy to be cynical as a Bengals fan. I mean, it is extremely easy to. You know, think the worst uh, going forward here. We have another call on the line. I believe it's from uh, Aaron from, I think it's from Kentucky. Aaron, how are you? Yes, from Ashland, Kentucky. Good, man. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. What's going on, bud? Not much, man. Uh, my question is, um, I've been seeing in the rumors things that that Taylor's talking about, Andy Dalton, uh, being able to master the offense. I'm wondering if y'all think that that's legit. Like, y'all think that Ooh, that's a good question. he's going to actually move forward with Andy Dalton, or if that's just something that he may be, you know, maybe saying. Is he, is he playing know, politics? Is he playing Is he playing the politician? And, and uh, yes. yeah, that's a great question. Thanks. Thanks, Aaron. We'll, we'll answer you off the air. Thanks, buddy. Uh, I, I think it's a great question, and and I hate – I mean, every offseason that Andy Dalton is the Bengals quarterback, there's going to be – is he the guy? Is he the guy, right? I mean, it, 
Part of me wants to believe Zach Taylor, and part of me does believe Zach Taylor. But when I heard Zach, when I saw that little clip when he first met Andy Dalton, and then when he recently appeared on, I believe it was Albert Breer's podcast, he had the same exact thing. I, I saw, I watched a lot of him when he was at TCU, and I, blah, 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 blah. I, I personally, I think the Bengals are doing something at quarterback that's splashy. I don't know if it's Tannehill. I don't know if it's Kyler Murray. I don't know if it's Dwayne Haskins. I, I, I just, I think that this coach, especially in this offseason with the first month being as tumultuous as it is, I think he wants to put his stamp on things. And, and I think the way he's going to do that as a quarterback's coach by trade is by bringing in another quarterback. That doesn't mean Andy Dalton won't start in 2019, but that's my personal opinion. The quarterback room will not just be Andy Dalton, Jeff Triscoll. Right. Or, or, Brad, or Brad Kyle, for that matter. Um, I don't know, man. Like <laughs> this team is basically the 2013 Miami Dolphins at this point. Um, like, yeah, because yeah, like you have multiple assistant coaches. You probably have the defensive coordinator from from that year. It's just, I don't know. I because there is talk about Tannehill getting released, and I think that's basically a foregone conclusion at this point. You know, I, I don't blame Taylor for saying anything that he's saying because it's not like he can say you ever going to move on from Andy Dalton when you don't have a, a viable replacement at at, at the at your disposal at this moment in time but just everything that's that's happened with with what since taylor's came here it's clear that they trust his vision and clearly they trust his influence on guys that he wants to bring in and if he wants to bring in a guy like Tannehill, or if he even wants to draft a guy relatively early i think he's going to have the reign to do so which is not something that i expected to be saying about the new head coach of the cincinnati Bengals back like a couple months ago dalton's contract is fa- favorable for them to move on and you know, I could obviously, I could easily be eating my words at this at this moment. You know, in in May when he's still the starting quarterback for them, but I, I think we can't really rule out any certain scenario because I think that Taylor does have an affinity for guys that he's worked with in the past. And Tannehill's not just the the Miami guy; he was in Texas A and M when Taylor was there as well. So they go back as long as you know he and Jim Taylor, Jim Turner go back. So I think that's something that still can't be diminished at this point. There's two. There's basically two modes that Taylor will be operating under that one of two modes that he will be operating under in 2019. And it is veteran guy Reese around them with a lot of talent, a veteran, a veteran middle of the road guy Reese around them with a lot of talent and hope that that elevates the play. And that's Dalton or Tannehill. I think mm-hmm. by, most, by most accounts. Yeah. And like, or go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Or it's, Hey, this is a number one. It's uh, NFL coaches do not have very long to, in a lot of instances, Bengals not necessarily being the case, but in a lot of instances, leashes are very short in the NFL from a head coaching perspective. And I mean, he's got to make the most of this opportunity. And uh, I think, you know, there's going to be some. There's going to be an opportunity for him to bring in a, a quote-unquote franchise quarterback. And, you know, it's – there are guys out there in this draft, uh, maybe one, maybe th- maybe all the way up to three or four. It depends on who you ask. But this is an opportunity for him to kind of write his own script. And uh, if you look at the NFL landscape, we've talked about it on this show, John, you need an elite coach and or 
elite quarterback to take you to the next level. And um, it it doesn't always work the the first way that I mentioned, which is build around a middle of the road quarterback, and um, at least not in recent years, build around a middle of the road quarterback and and hope that that he elevates to everybody else. It's it's the other way. But there's an argument to be <laughs> but 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 there's an argument to be made for Jared Goff, right? I mean Jared Goff, Goff number one overall pick. Some you know a lot of people think he's better than Andy Dalton, but I don't think he's. I don't think a lot of people think he's a Big Ben and Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady or anything in that stratosphere. So great, great roster around him. So I mean, you kind of go. <laughs> you see the logic of both. Yeah, but the, that Jared Goff just scored three points in the Super Bowl. Right. Exactly. So I think that. I think. I think that argument has has a legitimate answer behind it. And to, to anybody who says, you know, that Tannehill would be, would be awful here. He's not as good as Andy Dalton. I completely understand that. I, I agree to it to a certain extent. I just think that we're not thinking the way that Zach Taylor's probably thinking and his evaluation on Tannehill is probably significantly different than most Bengals fans evaluation on Tannehill, especially in comparison to a guy like Andy Dalton. But you have, you, you do have to sit back and, and just look at the logic behind all of it and how all the pieces could be coming together for this reunion to happen. And again, it, it, it's not like it, it, it's not it's not trying to talk ourselves into Tannehill being a good quarterback. It's just accepting that this is a guy that's worked with Taylor for a many many years in, in college and in the pros. A guy that's marginal compared to other quarterbacks in Andy Dolan's you know talent range. And as we've seen in the first two weeks, Taylor has done his best to surround himself with guys that he's worked with in the past. Quarterback is obviously the most important position on the field. It's not impossible or out of the realm to consider it. Even still, even with Tannehill still in the Dolphins, there's still time for some developments to happen. Yeah, uh, I just, like I said, I, I would not be surprised, and I continue to say this, I would not be surprised if Taylor brings in a, a quarterback this year, whether that's a, a Haskins, a Kyler Murray, a Drew Locke, uh, a Tannehill, whoever I just, I, or maybe even just a veteran backup that he has a lot of trust in, maybe a Sean Mannion, whoever. Uh, you know, I think that that there is a possibility that Cincinnati brings in a quarterback, and you know, you can sit here and say, "Oh, tank this year," and that that's just not. Coaches don't really have that luxury in, in today's NFL. You saw what happened in Arizona; they have as much, if not more so a dysfunctional ownership or have had traditional traditionally a dysfunctional ownership as the Bengals. And they gave their last coach one year and that was it. And then mm -hmm. they went and hired a guy that was hired as an offensive coordinator at the college level and they gave him a head coaching gig. So uh, there is just uh, nothing's guaranteed at that, at that position. And I think fan bases are so rabid and, Teams can sit here and say, oh, you know, we're not bowing to the wishes of the fans. But uh, Mike Brown even alluded to ticket sales told him a lot. So, yeah. uh, you know, if the Bengals, you can sit here and say, oh, it's easy to say in January, February. It's easy to say, oh, you know, let's tank in 2019. And you're sitting through a 3-13 and season after you sat through three straight losing seasons. Patience is going to wear thin by the time October rolls around. I mean, I think you're right. going to sit here and go – what you signed up for in February is not going to necessarily fly by the time October, November rolls around. That's just, I've been there personally. 
Uh, so, I, I mean, I, I would assume a lot of other fans would as well. John, we're going to get out of here with one quick other final question. You're kind of a draft guy. You like a lot of prospects. You went to the Senior Bowl. This was an interesting one from, I believe it's Diesel44. He had a five-round mock. Uh, that he put in the live YouTube chat, and I think it's putting you on the spot. Uh, but I think we know some of, if not all of the names, at least at this point. I am very familiar with the first two names at the very least. Uh, in the first round, he had Devin White, and I assume this is all, you know, the Bengals are staying put in their in their picks. Devin White, then he had Dalton Reisner, or Dalton Reisner. Uh, Simmons, if he drops due to injury, that's the uh, uh, Simmons. Yes, the, the defensive lineman there. Um, and then Tyree Jackson and Dakota Allen. Uh, your thoughts on, on that draft, that order, and if that's even possible or if that's just a, a pipe dream? A lot of good players right there. I didn't yeah, so I there know is who, a lot of good players. I don't know who Dakota Allen is. I guess he's a linebacker from Texas Tech. I guess hit, um, Diesel has a better evaluation on him than I do. But uh, yeah, um, that's your starting middle linebacker for the next 10 years, presumably. I think Risner can probably play on at least three or four spots in the offensive line and play it well. Um, I don't think Simmons is going to fall that far, personally. I think he's going to go in the range of a Jalen Smith and a Sydney. Um, Sydney Joseph somewhere in the early of the second round. So he could be their second round pick if they feel comfortable with that. Tyree Jackson, uh, yeah, I think he's probably a day three guy for me, a quarterback, because he doesn't have quality production. I don't think you can expect him to become a long-term starter, but I think he's a, ba a backup worth investing in. And double dipping at a linebacker is probably not um, the, the worst idea in the world. And I'm sure this class is pretty deep with guys who you can probably find uh, beyond the third round with, you know, high production probably going to test well as well so uh, yeah that's a solid draft right there i think so too and you know i based on what we know or what we think we know about the Bengals and outside free agency doubling up on linebackers or tripling up on linebackers early um, unfortunately linebacker is a position much like running back that is valuable but has decreased in value and part of the reason it has decreased in value is because the injury situation that, that occurs, and now there's other factors as well, but the injury situation, because the wear and tear that occurs from players at those positions, it just, it, it's part of today's NFL. It just, and, and especially for linebacker now, we mentioned earlier in the show, teams covet those hybrid players, teams covet more coverage guys because of the past happy NFL. So, you know, those stocky linebackers just aren't, um, uh, aren't, the traditional thumpers just aren't as coveted as usual, but um, you know, those rangy guys, guys that can do some things. I looked at Dakota Allen's stats. Um, ironically, his first two seasons uh, in college were more productive than his last season uh, in terms of tackles, in terms of interceptions, in terms of sacks, all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, maybe if he had come out, I don't think he was eligible, but if he had come out after last year, his stock would have been a little higher than a fourth or fifth round pick. Um, but, uh, you know, interesting player, probably along the lines of a tiny bit more talented Jordan Evans type of guy. Well, I, I don't know. Got to watch some more tape on that. But obviously, Devin White is a guy that is a hot name that has been linked to the Bengals. Dalton Reisner is also a guy who has been linked to the Bengals more so in the first round. Um, but he's kind of a guy that much like... Uh, Orlando Brown last year, his first round hype from 
Senior Bowl and before that has kind of cooled a little bit. You haven't heard as much about him. You hear more about Jonah Williams. You hear more about Cody Ford. You hear more about Jawan Taylor more so than than Reisner. And um, hey, if the Bengals can get a starter at offensive tackle or offensive line in the second round and be an effective guy, that's fine. If you can knock out your two biggest needs, linebacker and offensive line in those first two rounds and have two effective starters, I'm great with that. Yeah, and and with Simmons, um, I don't don't know if we expect him to play this year, and that's probably why he's not going to be a first-round pick. But, um, yeah, he would be a a guy that you would plug in in 2020 behind Geno Atkins and have him rush with him alongside on on third down. And, like, they haven't had a competent guy behind Geno for as long as he's been here. They tried early with guys like, you know, Devin Still and Brandon Thompson – and then Marcus Hardison while passing on Brady Jarrett, which still keeps me up at night sometimes, but they've missed a ton on the defensive tackle t- surrounding a, a competent piece with Geno Atkins. And Simmons, I think, is is probably a top 20 talent in this class if he's fully healthy. So yeah. I, I, because of that, I don't think he's going to be there in the third again. But if he is, I would definitely t- take a chance on him, even if he doesn't play this year. Yeah. Good player there. Thanks for all the questions tonight, guys. Appreciate the calls. Appreciate all the, the questions in YouTube and all the interaction there. Uh, we're just going a little long, so we can't get to every one of them. Appreciate all of that. We had others that were great from Cincy Fan, Cincy Fan Jungle City and many others. So we appreciate that. We appreciate uh, your patience on the phone and all that good stuff. John, final thoughts before we get out of here this week. I had a great tweet that I retweeted by... Uh, at by Kevin Clark. Kevin Clark is a NFL writer for the ringer. He's one of the best in the business. If you don't follow him, you definitely should. And he brought up something that I didn't quite realize, but when I did, I laughed hysterically for about five minutes. It will never stop being funny that the last ever time the Steelers had Roethlisberger, Bell, and Brown, three of the best offensive players of their era, they lost to Blake Bortles. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> that, that, AFC, that AFC divisional game ended up having like 80-something points. They lost to Blake Bortles. Oh, man. What was it? That was uh, 2016 wildcard, 2017 wildcard? 2017 divisional. Yeah. Oh, man. It's the Killer Bees got wiped out by double. Yeah. <laughs> and who knows if Blake, Blake Bortles might be a AAF starter. <laughs> back in the <laughs> yeah. Good lord. <laughs> Wow, that's incredible. Um, and for those of you who do have just kind of been tuning out NFL news, this week has been – if you follow Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell on Twitter or at least have seen people who do follow them or retweet anything that they follow them, holy moly. I mean, it's, it's, I, you had Le'Veon Bell quoting Martin Luther King <laughs> Jr. Martin Luther King Jr., free at last, free at last. You had Antonio Brown meeting with Steelers ownership this week, and that apparently was amicable, but it was known that he is not, he's going to be traded. Wow. I mean, it's just, wow. And there's a lot that, that could be a podcast episode in itself, but that, that points to the diva nature of those two. That points to the possible, not so, the pro- I shouldn't say possible, the probable grading nature of Ben Roethlisberger's personality. Um, so, you know, and, and hit the difficulty in working with him pro- is probably what's happening there. Um, money is an issue. Uh, Mike Tomlin's an issue. So there's a lot going on there. But that that's a great tweet, man. Oh, man, that is a great one. 
Um, it's hard to follow that one up. I'm just going to follow it up with a, with a happy birthday to my son. Uh, Regan turns two today, and that's a little bit of a reason why we had to start a little earlier than usual. So I appreciate my co-host biting the bullet on that one, if you will, and uh, uh, bowing to my schedule. We're going to take him out for a little fun dinner. For those who are watching this live, we're going to take him out to a fun dinner here on Wednesday night. And um, he... He watches football. He likes football. I don't want to say he's a Bengals fan, but I don't even know if I want to put that on. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but uh, happy birthday, Regan. And uh, he shares a birthday, as my esteemed co-host told me before we took the air. He's, he shares a birthday with A.J. Green's newest addition to his family. Was it Gunner? Is that his name? Gunner, Gunner, Gunner Blaze. Blaze. Yeah, Gunner Blaze. And, and for those old school Bengals football fans – Gunner is Boomer Assisen's son's name. Um, so there's there's just all kinds of connections here. Um, but uh, uh, happy birthday to my to my little boy. And uh, that's has nothing to do really with the Bengals, but just kind of a personal little thing. And, and thank you, John, again, for um, being flexible. I, I know, you know, sometimes I can be like, hey, by the way. <laughs> uh, so I, I appreciate it, man. I don't know what I'm going to do for the next hour. I'm easily recording. Yeah, I mean, are you are you are you eating dinner in front of uh, in front of the podcast here? As we're, I might watch that that guy Zion play basketball here in like ten minutes. I think that, he's, I, I've heard he's pretty good. That guy, that 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 guy Zion. That guy, yeah, yeah. I, I, I hear he's pretty good also. Yeah. Um, but thanks, man. Appreciate all you do and uh, appreciate your contributions to the show. Thanks for all of our live listeners as well. Once again, you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on Megaphone. You can get it on YouTube and on CincyJungle.com. Keep it to CincyJungle.com for all the news, opinions, analysis, and everything else related to the Bengals on that website. Uh, a lot of the guys bring it there, and uh, we appreciate all of the support you've sh shown the show. We'll see you next week. Things will get sorted out, we hope. Ude. Thank you.